righty, folks. Welcome back to the Mushing Alaska podcast. We're your hosts, Brennan and Sean. Always a pleasure to be back with you guys. This week's episode, we've got uh, our, it was a fun, fun interview with uh, Emily Robinson, and we'll kind of talk a little bit more about that on the backside of our intro here. But it was fun getting to chat with her, and uh, you know, I'm sure you guys will enjoy kind of uh, just hearing her and what she has to say about stuff but anyway sean how's it going brother oh you know i'm just gonna take my first sip of coffee here it goes ready experience this with me just experience this with me here we go Mm, yeah i I had to go black because i need to get creamer and i'm not i'm not a black kind of coffee guy but you know uh yeah i'm feeling pretty feeling pretty good that was a little bit rough on the ears there, man. Oh, yeah. Was this too loud? Did you not like Take it, it easy. talking deep into your ear? Jeez. Okay. All right. Uh, but, yeah, I'm fine. Everything's fine. I'm totally fine. I'm just thriving all the time. Just Anchorage totally is, how's, how's the weather in Anchorage? <laughs> um, the weather is cold. Uh, for Anchorage, it, it's been, uh, I think, this entire week, the lows are below zero. And uh, nice. it was, I went and played some music last night. Uh, and just like, I knew I, all I had to do is like make the walk from my car to inside. And um, it was a really, it was literally like a 10 to 15 yard trip just to get inside and I had, you know, I was moving equipment in and out and I, I was like, Oh, I just need my down jacket. It'll be fine. And I'll just like wear a t-shirt under it. And I was like, ah, okay. No, not maybe not. That. Maybe not. Start a second guessing yourself. Perhaps I'm not going to do that. Yeah. I'm, uh, I'm not It'll as happen. hard. Maybe, you know, not as, yeah. uh, I mean, I'm not a musher anymore, dude. You know? Yeah. Your shit's soft. It's, it's okay. You can say it. <laughs> <laughs> my shit's soft it is a little bit but um no it's good it's good it's good to have this cold weather it's good good uh it's good for cusco it's good for all over alaska get these rivers and lakes super hard solid frozen and you know we'll get through this cup of coffee and i'll be stringing together sentences that are even more coherent than that one was all right, bigger, perhaps bigger gulps, or just going to back to back there. Just experience this with me. Just experience this brain fog. All right, we're doing good. Yeah, no, and that's honestly part of why I wanted to ask is because you know, a lot of this intro we'll talk about the Cusco, and um, you know, from what I'm seeing, it's cold and windy, and. Folks are expecting a fast-ish race, I guess. And so, um, you know, kind of excited to see what that does. Um, I mean, the last few races that we've talked about have been generally slower conditions and the the finishing times have been uh, slower than they maybe normally are. So, yeah, I'm, I'm curious to see what that does for, for this race. And, um, yeah, I know we want to get into the Cusco, uh, with your 
warming up into All right, things. Dude, I'm feeling it now, dude. I'm feeling oh, it. Man. Oh man. Whoa, dude. whoa. Careful now. Um, where let's, where do you want to start? Yeah. Let's where start are you the thinking weather, about? Dude. The weather, dude, is is a is the biggest thing. It's cold as fuck, dude. Cold as fuck Fahrenheit. Sorry, Jason, the pastor from Glen Allen for saying the F word. I'm sorry. But it's so cold. Uh I'm looking at the uh official NOAA forecast. It says uh Tonight is when the race starts at 8 p.m. So we start with that. You know, 8 p.m. It's a really exciting uh, time to, you know, not, it's it's a unique starting time. 8 p.m. You go, you know, right into an all-nighter. And then uh, race usually finishes Sunday morning. Um, but the low tonight is at, in Bethel is minus 18. And, yeah, that's minus 15, I think um so it says minus 15 ambient right but the wind is going to be blowing oh you you got these official 15 I just, miles an hour i just pulled up a quickie of uh bethel and this so, is what google has you know and that's and that's a good starter you know information the fit it's going to be minus 15 low tonight sustained 15 mile an hour winds which is really if you're in, it's not that crazy of wind, but dude, it doesn't take much to cut right through you. 15 is at minus 15 is going to be really pretty chilly. Uh, it's gusts are going to get up to 20, potentially more. Um, actually, and then once it get into like, once it gets into tomorrow or tomorrow morning, Saturday morning, it'll be a, a ambient low is minus 23. And the still we have the same wind sustained 15 gusts up to 20. And that puts uh wind chill values as low as minus 50. All right. So for the casual listener, AKA me. All right. That's talk what you're representing. About, talk to me about ambient temperatures. Okay. You're using a, a word ambient in front of, the description of the weather all right so Am- with ambient that. means what is the literal temperature there's no what if you took a thermometer outside what does it read so that's like real feel yeah i don't know what real feel is what is real feel no real feels different uh real feels like it, it reads negative 10 but it feels like negative 20 or whatever right. that would be wind chill is the same as real feel i guess I don't know. I've never heard of that one. Um, but the wind chill is all right. Now you have an ambient temperature of minus 23 with 15 mile an hour wind sustained. That would be feeling like it's an ambient temperature of minus 50. It would feel like that, but it's actually minus 23. Is that how that and, math works? Is that how yeah. you just add them together kind of thing? Oh, no, no, no. It's not. You're not adding them together. It's it, the, the math I don't understand. All I know well, is minus minus twenty three ambient plus a fifteen mile an hour wind, according to Noah, is a oh, oh, okay, wind okay. chill of minus fifty. I'm like, so, are you just casually calculating this shit in your head, dude? No, 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 no. <laughs> um, nice. Okay, any, so any, yeah, so so that, without getting lost in the weather of this, like it's going to be freaking cold. Yes, and at Correct. no point that you can see that I can see. Is it really going to let up? Correct. The 
Saturday night low is standby minus 28. Standing by. Actually, minus 26 because my glasses aren't on, but minus 26 ambient. And it is going to be calmer that night. So it's supposed to be die down the winds down to five to 10 miles an hour, which makes a net effect of about the same wind chill, minus 45. And look, the thing is, I'm looking up the Bethel forecast. This is a 300 mile race. One mile of it is in Bethel. Okay. So things change in 300 miles of country. There's going to be places that I'm certain are colder than Bethel and windier potentially. So this is what we're seeing in Bethel. Um, so it'd be interesting. Uh, I think it's going to be a really fast trail, a fast, um, you know, probably pretty fast race, but like you're, I think that there's going to be, you know, some teams that start fast and potentially since you are dealing with these temperatures, you're going to see maybe a one or two of those teams. There's just things that are outside of their control that, you know, maybe you, um, maybe there's, there's something that you're going to be concerned as a musher. You're looking for, you're taking as many precautions to avoid frost nip in your dogs. And so a lot of these people are going to be putting fox or frostbite, you you know, nip is like a less extreme. It's less, the frostbite is literally like rotten flesh. Like this is not going to happen with the dogs. Okay. Takes complete and total neglect from the musher. Frost nip is like the equivalent of like light nip, lightly, like a a sunburn. And and if you get like a good day in the sun and you didn't put lotion on, um, and uh, you don't really notice the effects, like as they're happening, it's kind of hard to see. You you, got, you can see, you know, for a human, you'd have your skin start to kind of turn white, and that's a, kind of your first sign. Like you need to get your you need to get that part of your body warm immediately, um, and you know it's going to be fine. You're not going to lose the limb or whatever, right? Well, with dogs, the they're running ten miles an hour, and the wind is funneling through the front their front legs back to their back legs underneath their chest and stomach and so the most vulnerable parts are uh for a male is their penis is that all their that wind is going right right there um and then like the skin that connects your hind legs of the dog to their main body that kind of like that it's like a it's literally just skin there's not really much muscle there or right in front of you know that hind leg right it's they call it a flank and those are like the two spots that are uh, most vulnerable to having cold uh you know being affected by the cold and the wind and uh the dog jackets that the dogs wear have a flap that they put that does cover that stomach and the flanks um but it's sometimes you know at these extreme temperatures for certain dogs that have lighter coats um they're going to need a, additional gear that and, and usually it's uh some kind of fur that they'll put down there they'll put a fox tail that's kind of sewn on to the jacket and that'll wick away the moisture from the the area and and the moisture with the cold that's the combination that you see those problems with 
So, you know, you're going to see mushers taking those above and beyond precautions out there in the cold to keep keep their dogs uh, and, uh, you know, healthy and happy. And so, yeah, that's that's something that you're everything is that everything is every decision is at these temperatures is just so crucial you know when it comes to not just take like what your dog's gear is wearing but like their booties every, like things the the what happens to the snow at these temperatures it's much coarser and it's 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 like almost like sandpaper and so you know imagine just you know it's not as extreme as sandpaper but imagine like running on sandpaper for miles and miles like it's going to wear through your shoes and your socks a little bit more so you maybe you're changing your booties a little bit more often and um certainly they're going to wear quicker so you're there's just and then of course like feeding these guys they need more fat they need a lot of fat and you want to keep them hydrated right so it's just when you have a warm snowy year they can just be eating snow off the side of the trail they might not need to drink that much water because there's plenty of water out there on the run um you know warmer temperatures they don't really even need fat they don't need to have the protection of their stomach uh you know when it's 20 degrees but at minus 25 with a 10 mile an hour wind you need to take those precautions and i promise you everybody out there is knows exactly how cold it's going to be and are bringing everything plus the kitchen sink out there to take care of their team take care of their dogs take care of themselves and get through this race safely dude I love that, man. I, I was not expecting you to go down the frost nip. Uh, I was just thinking frost like nips, you know, my nips are hard or that. But uh, <laughs> oh what, what are you God. talking about? Frost nips? <laughs> what? Uh, um, so thank you for the clarity so, yeah. there. First of every all, every time you stop, seriously though, like every time you got, you're stopping your team for a snack, you're gonna be checking their dicks. You're gonna be checking their flanks and making sure that they're not. You're not seeing that white color on their skin and um and making sure that it's covered uh properly and and uh constantly checking that stuff you know that that's musher's responsibility yeah that was actually i'm glad you asked that because my i was curious how often they check it so that makes sense every time they're doing like micro breaks or snacks or whatever they're probably checking it then um and then my other question is like can you tell in a dog's performance if some of that frost nip is starting to creep in that are they like is that just something that you just have to keep an eye on like yeah that's something that's the thing dude these dogs are super tough man they're really really tough dogs i would think that you might not see the them actually having like a reaction to an issue and for maybe not for like one or even two, maybe three legs of a race after it actually is starting to happen. So you, these dogs, these dogs won't tell you that this is happening. So you really do have to be ahead of the curve um, because you know, it's a, it's similar, like with an athlete, if you have like this nagging soreness or you like scrape your knee, like in the game, you know, and it doesn't, you just like can get up and keep playing. And then like the next morning you wake up, it's like scabbed over, you know, right. And, 
it's a little swollen or whatever like that. And then you're like, oh, okay, kind of a little stiff, right? So it's getting up after their rest. Yeah, one or two runs later, that's when you start to see the effects. But you really want to get see it and deal with it as soon as possible um, because it can be causing issues for a long time after that if you don't see it right you're gonna those now now those places moving forward are going to be more susceptible and vulnerable to cold in you know the within the next one or two years um depending on the severity of the cold exposure and i guess at what point if if the frost nip becomes frostbite is that when it becomes uh consideration for a dog to to be scratched or whatever or to be taken off or like at what point does does that uh nip become concerning to where you're like all right i gotta drop this dog yeah i mean um i think there's just so many things at play besides like you but like if you're seeing i i would say that my experience mushing dogs at minus 30 is fairly limited because you really don't want to do that like like we okay let me put it this way our group of dogs when it was that temperature we would usually not go out for extended periods of times on long training trips and if there was a race like the iditarod where those temperatures happen you couldn't really avoid it you're out there on the trail already you know you then you're you're like all right like how can we make sure everything's going to be good with these guys and i so i i haven't really pushed it at those temperatures so i I, i'm starting to get kind of on the on the edge of my knowledge here okay i understand Um, but i would say once you see flesh white that's white it's probably um it's probably fine to but you like you have to get that area protected immediately and with as much fur as possible you know they're gonna it'll warm up you know when they're curled up in their straw um you're like you're probably uh it just depends on the severity of it like you could continue with that and it'd just be one of those things like they're kind of got a little bit of sunburn the equivalent of they got some sunburn it's going to be red afterwards but they're going to be fine in like a week or two and they're going to be fine in general. I mean, but the, the area will be back to healthy in a week or two, depending on the severity of it. Right. And so it's, it's really not so cut and dry as to what is the exact symptom. It's like, all right, well, how big is the area? How, you know, what's the coloration? What's the temperature this today? You know, what gear are you using? How are they eating? How's their body weight? Like every all these things are coming into play. Sure, sure. Um, so in terms of the weather, is there anything else that you wanted to kind of have any comments on? Um, I know I wanted to break down some of the mushers in addition yeah. to talk about some of the rules. I'd um, say but yeah, the the coarseness of the snow at those temperatures, uh, not only on dog booties and dog paws but on the on the runners and the speed with which the sled's moving along this trail um you know 
I don't know if we've really spent much time talking about runner plastic, um, no. but there's a lot of like, there's some fairly like high tech runner plastic that my knowledge of is, you know, basically if it's the color red, it's for warmer weather. If it's the color black, it's for colder weather plastic. You know, they don't really put like wax the plastic or whatever, like you would with like skis. Cause it just, you know, like you get your skis waxed every few days which is like a couple miles of skiing, right? So if you go, are on your runners for 50 miles, you'd have to stop and wax them a few times just in one run. So they don't right. get them waxed, but they, yeah, you, people are probably starting with some fresh. Well, maybe not. Maybe they're not starting with fresh plastic because you got 12 dogs and it's way too much power. Maybe you start with shitty plastic and then you put the nice plastic on once your dogs are a little bit more calmed down and it really matters, you know, whatever. There's some strategy into the plastic. And trying to get your, if you put the wrong plastic on at minus 20, you are going literally like one mile an hour slower, which is huge, you know? So that's uh, something I'm sure that every musher is on top of, but it's just a fact, another factor maybe people don't think about. Interesting. Yeah, no, we haven't gone down that hole. I, I feel like, I feel like we've maybe talked about it with uh, a various mushers, like, not while recording or something, but not really talked about it in detail. That's something I'm going to kind of keep in the back of my mind um, when we have other guests on just to kind of. Yeah. It's like literally people, that. they'll be like, yeah, I put green plastic on for the coast of the Iditarod. I'm like, I don't even, what do you like? I don't think my, most mushers, there's probably a handful that do actually understand what's going on, but most people are just like, yeah, reds for warm, blacks for cold, greens for coast or whatever. And it doesn't really make sense. It, but again, I'm not, I'm not, yeah, I'm not really, uh, <laughs> an expert on the, so I don't want to get too deep into it. Let's move on. Sure. Yeah. And the other thing I wanted to just say about the weather was, uh, it's, a, it's cold, but, um, there was an article I was reading that said that at the start in 89, it was 45 below, uh, and then it was around 50 below 48, 50 below it at Kalskag with big wind and 56 below when we reached Antioch. Jesus. So (laughs) uh, that's just something I thought I'd bring up. All right. So where do you want to go? You want to break down the mushers? Yeah. uh, I do want to say that the course, the the racetrack real quick is so you go from the start. Here, hold on, hold on. For anyone watching. We're on YouTube for YouTube people. Yep. Is just wanted to first start out here with a generalized for again for me because I I don't even live there. Uh, so Anchorage over here to Bethel is how long? It's uh, I think it's like an hour. I think it's three hundred forty-five miles. You know, however long that is on a flight, I think it's like an hour. And but what this this mountain range you can't drive through? There's just no roads to get there. That's the Alaska range and the Tordrillos and stuff. And, um, so yeah, everybody flew. This is like, this is a huge thing with the Cusco. Every, every dog, every sled, every bit of gear, every human flew except for Pete Kaiser and Richie deal. And maybe another musher or two, or actually there's like the father Larson and Alexi and stuff. There's a number of mushers that are from Bethel and Antioch area, but, um, they all, most of the mushers flew their dogs. 
in crates like uh, with alaska airlines cargo it's a whole thing um you know i think that is a like a small factor into how your team does like are they do they fly well like you know uh it's a small factor if your dogs are like oh yeah we do this all the time maybe there's like they start with their stomach right you know something it's a little bit sometimes it can be a little stressful as anyone has flown with a dog might imagine you know and maybe their stomach's a little off when they land kind of thing and that's just a two percent difference right there um so yeah flying there and then you start in bethel tulix sacks the first checkpoint it's fifth just under 50 miles to get to tulix sack everybody's almost no one's going to stop there on the way out and, and if you are you know it's a very it's a conservative play um and it is totally re- reasonable for those teams that are planning on finishing in the back of the pack it might not be a bad idea to take a two-hour rest and keep your team strong early. And then you go to, they call it lower cow skag and upper cow skag. It's the same place, but you're going to it twice. So the lower, as my understanding is the lower cow skag is like the first time through and the upper cow skag, I think is the second time through, right? So you get to cow skag, that's a hundred miles in. So the race requires you to take a 10 hours of rest. Six of them, you can choose where to take and it's going to be either Kalskag or Antioch. And you split between those two typically for a competitive race. There's going to usually there's you're taking four hours at one of those checkpoints and two at the other or three and three are the two most common schedules. It could be you take your you take your, you know, three hours at Kalskag, go to Antioch and take three hours there. Or you take three hours at Kalskag, you do the loop. And by the way, it is going clockwise. I texted a friend and it's going nor the northern leg to Antioch, which is shorter. It's 31 <laughs> Anyone miles. Anyone who's watching, I'm literally doing <laughs> oh, clockwise. <yeah>. <laughs> so uh, it's uh it's going staying on the Kuskokwim River or on the north, like the nor- more northern leg to Antioch, which is 31 miles, just slightly shorter to, to go that way, right? Uh, to Antioch, that is right from Kalskag to Antioch is 31 miles, and then from Antioch back to Kalskag, I think is a, like a little over 40, so it's a little slightly longer. So, I would imagine a lot of teams are going to take both of their rests in Kalskag, you know, take three there, do the loop, which is like a 75 to 80 mile loop, and then come back and take three. Um, but yeah, so it's that's you know, we've seen people take three in Kalskag and then take two in Antioch and then one in Kalskag, you know, you can get creative with it, whatever, but it has to be six hours. And that's a huge strategic play that literally makes and will, will make and break people's competitive races, making those decisions. Um, Cause you don't really know what the trail ahead of you might look like, you know, maybe there's some overflow, God forbid, you know, at these cold temperatures that can be tricky. Um, so then you do this lap, you come back, you get to Antioch, you continue on or you rest there, you come back to Upper Kalskag, the second round of Kalskag. Right? And, and by the time you leave Kalskag, you have to take your sit, you have to have completed your six hours of mandatory rest. And then you mush about 50 miles to Tuliksak, where you're required, every team is required to take a four hour rest before they mush back to Bethel, which is uh, just under 50 miles. So, bam, there you go. That's the 
race it's almost all it's almost completely flat there's some slight gentle hills but you know it's a fast flat fast trail and in terms of uh you know you went over the the mandatory rest is there any other rules or anything else about this race that's worth highlighting that may be different from others um I think um, there's like every year, it seems there's uh, someone that makes a wrong turn right before the finish and they call it the slough and the slough like on a river is just like a, you know, a branch of the river that's just kind of a dead end or it's more still water. And there's a slough you can take that's like a total shortcut, like complete, completely, it would be cheating if you like took the slough. So people are like race organizers so, or might be so out maybe there. Pete Kaiser knows that one, huh? Uh, oh, hunch, certainly like every local <laughs> knows, like don't turn there. And it's the thing is, it's like a super commonly used trail locally. So people that haven't been there before, even people that are from there, I mean, they make that mistake and cause you're 298 miles into this race. And by the way, it's not actually 300, almost none of the 300s are 300. In fact, shout out to connect, which was actually almost a 200 race called the connect 200 not the race's fault it's just the way the trail happens to be this year you're dealing with a dynamic frozen river it just isn't the same every year um but it's closer to about just under 280 so yeah uh watch out for that slew you know at the end and then if you do end up taking it they'll probably knock you 30 minutes or something off your time so um yeah but nothing nothing out it's just a shorter rest this race has a short amount of rest. it's going to be an under 40 hour race for the winter nice yeah i'm excited it's but and we're recording this the day that it's taken off so uh yeah you know we'll we'll see what happens i'll be watching it paying attention on the phone unfortunately sean won't be there but uh i know kale's there so we can all be looking to Check in on his coverage and I'll certainly the be website, watching. of course, Costco 300 yep. website. Um, and then and KYUK, I guess that's I think, the local, <laughs> yeah, yep, newspaper Bethel has there. a local, local radio there. Um, and I think I just want to say, like, the bigger reason that you can do this race and it'd be a 10 hour rest, and then you have the same distance for the Copper Basin and it'd be an 18 hour rest, literally almost twice as much required rest is because this trail is pretty much flat and usually pretty fast. Sometimes it can be slower, but it's different country. And, uh, and you know, with the Copper Basin, the trails they're putting in are almost exclusively used for the race. So this, these trails are connecting villages. This is, this is a unique cultural experience for mushers that haven't been out there. You get to go to Tuluksak, Kalskag, and Antioch which are these, you know, Bethel is a huge village. It's got like a couple thousand people, I think, something in that range, two to 3,000 people. And then... Massive, just massive. Massive. And and then Antioch and Kalskag, those are talking a few hundred, maybe, you know. And so it's a cool cultural experience, and it kind of has... That's something that is unique about this race, unique about the Kobuk, and unique about the Iditarod, is that these are off-the-road system and you're getting to see a slice of Alaska that you might not otherwise see. Nice. Nice. So yeah, let's hit the mushers and just kind of give a quick breakdown. And 
Yeah, uh, if you'll recall, I'm a little up against the clock. So, um, yeah, you know. Joe Taylor is a 2022 20, Iditarod veteran, and my buddy Alex keeps telling me, dude, you need to get Joe on his podcast. He's fucking hilarious. Um, look at his sponsors. Grandma's beanies keeping the head warm. <laughs> so, you know, we, we got to get Joe. Uh, of course, Pete Kaiser's won, I believe, seven Cusco 300s. The, yep. You know, if, if you were to flip a coin, the heads is Pete Kaiser wins and tails is anyone else. Um, he's just a head on, like, complete and total favorite. Not, you know, like, uh, but Djokovic just lost in the Australian Open. Maybe Pete Kaiser loses in the Cusco. Um, you know, who knows? Uh, Josh McNeil, he's he's one of the dark horses to top five it. Um, we'll see how it goes. He tried to do it at Connick. He saw some issues with his team, and he ended up pulling the plug. So we're hoping it goes better. Uh, you know, I think he pulled the plug because he's keeping Cusco in mind. This is a huge purse. And then you ask me what's a distinct thing about this race. It's literally Man. almost $30,000 for the winner. Um, and second place is not that much less. So uh, you get paid out all the way through the top 25 teams. And so you can pay for your trip out and take some money home. And that's the biggest, this is the most money you can make in mushing per, if you're talking about amount of money per race mile. And I mean, reality is in general, it really is. You don't have to train as many miles to get your team ready for this. So this is, is if you're going to make money mushing, this is your best shot at it. Raymond Alexi has got a super fast dog team and he's literally won every single event in the Bethel area. The Cusco 300 is the Super Bowl of the Bethel sled dog races, but there's a ton of other races that happen out there through that have already been happening for weeks and that will continue to happen Dude, for months. I didn't know he's only 20 years old. That's crazy. Damn. 20. That is, I did not know that either. So he's a total. Like, you know, he's going to be going fast. So I'd say put him in the dark horse situation, put Dave Turner in the dark horse. Um, you know, you know, he's got a fast team. We'll see, see what he's able to pull off. He's run this race now a few times. So he's, he's got that, got a little bit more of a veteran uh, brain now. Um, I don't know about John Schneider, but he's a local and uh, Akia Chak is there on the river. I believe um, Hunter Keefe is, uh, you know, Not, I'd say Hunter. I love the sweater. I just gotta, I gotta give a sweater. shout out. Love the sweater. Yeah, see some great sweaters out in the in the mushroom communities. Uh, but yeah, he's, you know, I think he's gonna be trying to be as competitive as he can be. Um, and another, you know, dark horse top top. Uh, do we do we know if he's uh, if he's running a young team? Or if he's got his his uh, he was sharing him about stuff on Facebook, but I, I can't remember exactly. Um, gotcha. But I think I think he's got some studs on some some good good boys on that team. Um, Gabe Gabe Dunham, <laughs> she's uh, I I'm not sure. I think that she's this is her. Oh no, she's she ran this race in 2022, and and that is amazing. Ninth place in this race is no small feat. So I'm really excited to see what Gabe does. Uh, really because she's she's been uh uh really good at these these distance races so you know i think she could impress people um father larson has he's been running all these races for a few years uh 61 years old um he won the akiak dash 
literally 30 years ago. Right. Crazy. So this is, it's kind of cool to see someone like uh, him in this race. I think he's got a, a really good dog team too. So, you know, just such a competitive race. It's insane. Matt failure won this race. I think he has the fastest, uh, fastest Kesko ever record yep. at, uh, like 38 or 39 hours. We could see that potentially beat this year. Um, Jessica Clayka ran this race before she was even 18. She's grew up in Bethel. Uh, really excited to see what she can do. She's definitely a fan favorite. Richie deals, probably the, the second, you know, odds on favorite to win. Um, uh, you know, he's been in second place to, to Pete a bunch of times and finished this race 14 times. He's been in the top five, 11 times. And, uh, didn't I believe he won this race like the COVID year? Uh in 21. Yep. And then um Riley Dyke. We love Riley, of course. So really uh think that he's another guy that has like kind of a dark horse opportunity to crack into the top 10. Sure. Um to his kennel kennel's name too. Yep, dark horse, right? Yeah, <laughs> that's a good point. Um Katie Joe Dieter is in this race with her husband, Jeff. Uh, I think Katie Joe might have the more competitive team between uh, of the black spruce dog sledding teams. Um, and Jeff is maybe running the younger, less experienced team and getting him around the track, uh, get him to the finish line. So um, interested to see what uh, Katie Joe's more a team of the black spruce can do. Um, Jason Pavel is an, a local uh grew up in in the live in the village life he was the rookie of the year a couple years ago um and just run a lot of these local races and clearly he has a really strong team um bailey vitello's uh you know he's got a he's been hitting all these races he, he's done the co-buck he's got a really tough dog team i think he's been doing really good training in ninana i think you know I'd, I'd be interested to see this could be like his coming out um event where maybe he he does have a strong a strong race uh i think dakota's got kind of on the more recreational level uh dog team or you probably see him finish towards the middle and back of the pack which is still in a really impressive feat uh getting around this track at all so uh and and, and let, i mean even to do this in last place you're still doing a 300 files in like two days i mean so just keep that in mind uh, see, I think Ryan hasn't raced this race in like maybe like I don't think he a, has a There's decade no and history. a half. I think I think that he's maybe done it like 15 years ago or something. So That's really crazy. cool to see Ryan out there. Um, I don't know who this Eb, Eb Peterson, and he is. Uh, he lives in Takatna. and also in Norway is his hometown. But Takatna is on the Iditarod Trail. Oh, he's running uh, Matt's Peterson's dog, who's going to be running the Iditarod this year. Lev Schwartz, I guess, has a couple dogs on this team potentially too. But uh, excited to see uh, a face that I haven't seen in a few years, in my few years covering this. So kind of cool. Um, yeah, Jeff, like I said, he's running the B team for Black Spruce Dog Sledding and just trying to get them around. He's an ambassador to the sport. And so is Katie Joe and... Excited to see, to see his dogs get get to the finish line there. Rami Smith, 
you know, he's been doing this for his entire life. And uh, I don't think he has that many miles on his team, maybe training this year. So I wouldn't expect him to be uh, finishing, you know, too high up there, but um, he's also a veteran and knows exactly what he's doing. So uh, shout out to Mr. Underwood, Isaac Underwood. People often ask me if I'm related to the Underwood mushing family. His dad is, I think Nate, nathan or maybe it's son is nathan i'm not sure um but these guys uh live out near bethel their kennel name is underwood kennels so yeah it's it's, maybe we should have them on sometime um i'm i'm interested to see how uh, they've usually finished towards the back but i think i've seen them do a little bit better in uh recent years um but again finishing this race in any capacity is a total accomplishment. Uh, and Travis is definitely going to be gunning for it. So you'll see him out front early. Uh, and he's, well, uh, he's, he's the last musher to go. This was all in order yeah. by the way. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, I guess he won't be out front he's early, early the, but the back end of the trail, you know, he's going to at least be having fast run times early. Let's put it that right. way. And we'll see, it. you know, you see how his dogs react. To a fast so, first hundred miles, and, and you know you probably see him up there. So Things taking well for him. taking Pete Kaiser out of the mix, who would you say is is your clear cut favorite? Um, Matt Failure, Richie Deal, Travis Beals. That okay, gotcha. Um, that uh, the and then you mentioned Alexi, several the, the that that twenty year old dude. Yep. Yep. Um. Yeah, so I mean, this is just insanely competitive race. Uh, Twenty-three mushers, I think. So I think if you finish this race, I'm pretty sure you're in the money. So that's kind of cool. So just just finish the damn thing, and you get two, three grand, um, and that almost covers your cost for flying out there if that's what you were doing. Uh, but yeah, super competitive race. This is the. This is to me. Just this. This is just as exciting as I did a ride in a lot of ways. It's, it's, it's just bang, bang, bang. You know, it starts Friday and Sunday morning. Like you should be glued to the trackers all weekend. Let's go, baby. Um, anything else to say about the race before we transition? There's fireworks after the start. It was kind of crazy. The, uh, nice. the, the last dog team leaves and they have fireworks. It's an awesome community. Um, and, you know, if you ever get a chance to go to Bethel for the Cusco 300, take that chance. Nice. Yeah, we'll have to we'll have to check out some pictures and videos and see the the fireworks. Um. So yeah, real quickly, you know, we this episode, uh, we're we're interviewing, uh, we're doing our interview with Emily Robinson, and man, we had a great time recording with her. She was uh, she was real fun to talk to, and crazy that she's just 16 you know um you know so it's just like she's had a lot of success in her uh young mushing career and um so it's just nice to hear you know i i guess if we think about our guests like we haven't she's like far and away the youngest we've had on like i guess josh mcneil was 28 like have we had anyone younger than him 29 yeah uh Probably how, how old is Riley? Uh, similar 30. Something. Yeah. yeah. Same with Amanda, right? Yep. Yep. All in the 
Laura reigns. Laura's round 30, maybe 27. Yeah. I don't know. So she's yeah. like head and shoulders, the youngest person we've had on, but it was, man, she's like so experienced and that's very, um, it's very apparent in my eyes at least. And, you know, um, just like it's, it was fun. I don't know. What's your thoughts? I think it was like a super engaging conversation. I think all three of us were just, you know, a little less brain fog than I've had at the beginning of this episode, but I did wake up. I told you. And, uh, <laughs> and, um, I think it was just a super fun conversation. Uh, uh, I was, I'd never really had a long chat with her until then, you know, so it was really cool. I have seen her at like a bunch of times and it's just like a quick, it's at the start race start of something always. So it's just right. like, Hey, Emily, no, oh, Hey, Sean, I've been listening. And she was fun. We like talked about her for the last year. And, and I think at the end of the episode, she was like, you know, she's yeah, like, oh, I, was, I was listening yeah, because we might have said something, something that was like, not quite, you know, I don't know what we said. Something I, I'm scared. Like, I don't know. Imagine if this got like somewhat big, this thing. And like, you know how like in people like, go back podcasts, and like, they like yeah. edit together like a minute long thing and it becomes like viral or whatever. Like, yeah, if someone were to just go in and like take a minute long clip from any of the 35 plus episodes or whatever. I'm scared to see what they would find, you know, okay. but yeah, Emily, there was something we said like, Oh, it might've been something along the lines of like, she's, I mean, she's like only 16. She's not going to fucking win this thing. Right. And we might've said something like that, like a year ago. And then I'm sure she was just listening like this, Brendan and Sean, those little bastards. We literally, <laughs> we said that she's not going to win races and now she's winning races. So like, Hey, I think that was a win for everyone. Did we say right? that? I, 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 mean, I don't know, yeah, but don't we're going to take it did. and run with it. I don't yeah, know. Maybe I don't we know. did, but who knows? She's got but, an amazing dog team and an amazing support system is a super uh, big part of it. Her family, it's an all family thing. And, yep. uh, and you know, as she is aging out of the junior mushing scene, uh, she has, I think what this is, she's still 16. She still has a whole another year to run yeah. junior. I did her out and win the connect, defend the connect 200. Well, the connect 200, she can run forever, but um, yeah, she's, Still only 16, got another year left in the junior circuit. And then her brother's going to be, he's, I think he's 12. So, and he's been mushing his whole life. And, and then he'll have the same dog team and a couple new dogs and be able to. So, we're going to see the Robinson name in junior mushing for a long time. So, hey, do you know their mom's name? We, we, we mentioned Walt. I totally blew it. Times, yeah, I have no idea but... at all. She deserves some damn credit, okay? Because, like, yeah. I hear Walter, and shout out to Walter, rightfully so, right? You know, we joked about, like, people in the know call him Wally, but we haven't officially, like, met him. We haven't gotten the handshake. Yet. I want to you know? get the Wally. Still Walter. To be like, yeah, it's still Walter. But his dad's name is Walter, so maybe he prefers Wally. I'm not sure. I don't know. You would have to find out, you know? But anyways, um, I want to also just give – the shout out to her mom as well. Um, and it was funny. It was like, you will, you, you see and hear Emily, but like we were kind of doing it with her parents there too. So, um, you know, it was just like, we talk about being an all family affair kind of thing. And then after we were done, uh, we kind of were just chit chatting and, uh, the brother walked in and he kind of like started chatting with us too. So it was fun. And, um, I think that you guys will really enjoy this this episode. Uh, do you got anything else you want to add, Sean? 
Let's go, baby. Let's go. <laughs> All righty, folks. Y'all enjoy. All righty, folks. Welcome back to the Mushing Alaska podcast. Uh, we're excited to have our next guest on, Miss Emily Robinson. Welcome to the house, and, and thank you for joining. Yeah, of course. Thank you. Um, so yeah, how, how are things doing? You're, uh, you gotta be doing pretty good. Uh, coming, coming off your, uh, Kinnick 200 win. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm doing pretty good overall. I mean, for a little bit there, I was pretty tired, but right now at my place, it's like practically 30 below. So I'm freezing a little bit, but you know, that's, that's what we sign up for as Alaskans. So. Yeah. Nice. It's been quite the cold snap. I saw people up in Fairbanks, you're like in the minus forties. You guys are like somewhere in south of Fairbanks near Nenana, I think, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, we, we live in between Fairbanks and Nenana. Okay, yeah, that yep. sounds pretty cold. It's we, we're we're uh, mm-hmm. here in Anchorage. We're you know woke up to below zero, which is pretty you know. That's it, pretty it chilly for down there. Yeah, it's pretty <laughs> chilly for down here, and uh, yeah. and I I was at the Copper Basin last weekend, and it really wasn't that cold. So I, it felt this minus four. I'm feeling pretty soft walking out oh yeah no it's been a, it's been a pretty mild winter so far and just i i should have knocked on on the wood because uh last week i said oh you know the the biggest thing that i've seen change is the weather and like back in the day like in the 80s and 90s people were uh would you know feel 40 below all the time and now it's just gotten to 40 below so <laughs> I, I figured we weren't gonna get away with it you know yeah <laughs> Yep. It's funny to hear you you uh both talk about weather like here in Atlanta. It's <laughs> it's kind of been yeah. it's kind of been cold for Atlanta standards and uh, you know like barely got into the 20s or whatever. Everyone's like freaking out and I'm just like Sean is Sean has hardened me by moving to Alaska. So like normally right. I'd be like, yeah, this is really cold, but uh I, I'm like walking around and everyone's like freaking out, like it's gonna be in the single digits, and I'm like it's not that bad, guys. It's gonna be okay. <laughs> so, just, we've talked yeah, about. You live in paradise. <laughs> yeah, yeah, m- much, uh, much more favorable temperatures here, I would say. But it does get a little bit hot in the in the summertime, so uh, there is that to combat. So, anyways, I was John, looking. What- I was about to ask, just like, do you remember way back when uh, you beat? Uh, the 2022 and 2023 Idera champions in a 200 mile sled dog race. <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> uh, I love it. Yeah. Love I'm, it. I'm creating, I'm creating mom lore. That's, that's what I like to say. Like mom on lore. the internet, right? Mom lore yeah. on the internet right now. Like everybody's like, Oh, I'm making dad lore. Oh, I'm making mom lore by like going all these on all these adventures. I'm making mom lore. Yeah, I like things that. that I can tell things that I can tell my children and my grandchildren. <laughs> nice. Yeah, that is that is true. That, that, that yeah. this are going to be some lifelong stories and I got a feeling there'll probably be a few more to come. Um, yeah. yeah, that was fun to be at. I've never been at like I mean, I've been to the connect start, you know, and mm-hmm. but that was really cool to to see see you coming across the finish line. And and I didn't know who was going to be coming out of the woods onto the connect yeah. lake. I don't think anybody Nobody did. did. Maybe you yeah. didn't even know, you know, so I, yeah. uh, <laughs> that must have been like, so that's, I just, I've never been in a super competitive position in any sled dog race. I just can't, mm-hmm. I, I just feel like being in a sled dog race and in general is 
a different, you know, mental state than running your dogs where in a non-race setting, of course. But when you're up there in the front and you got all these, you know, incredible dog teams around you and the one in front of your sled. And <laughs> I don't know, like what at what point then on the second run were you like like time to, you know, make a move or were you just like, like the games? Yeah, I mean, like you were probably you can't just be like pushing all hundred miles of your run, right? No. You have two one hundred mile no. runs. Yeah, it was it was so the first hundred miles I took it pretty easy. Like I wasn't, I mean, people thought I was running fast because yeah, I was running fast compared to everybody else. But like I I started in the thirty third position, and then by the second day I hadn't passed everybody, but time wise I ended up second place, and so. Uh, Brent was uh, seven minutes in front of me and Ryan was two minutes behind me. Um, but so the, but by the second day, yeah, I was, I was sandwiched in between two champions, two Iditarod champions. So yeah, that second day, um, I, I wasn't, I wasn't pushing within the first half. So uh, I caught up to Brent uh, 10 miles out from the halfway point, and then. Um, me and him stayed pretty close to each other for like a while. Like we were, I could see him, he could see me. And then, um, five miles out from the dog drop, I had to carry a dog. So then, uh, he ended up passing me pretty quickly. And I spent like, probably like eight minutes dealing with that dog. And so then I dropped him at the halfway point and, uh, you were like, the last point, like at Eagle quest. So like three fourths yeah, of the Eagle way through. Quest. Right. Okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Half it's half. It's halfway, halfway from the, the midway halfway. point or whatever. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> exactly. It gets confusing. Um, but so then he he had created a two mile gap after he had passed me. Um, and then Ryan was two miles behind me. So then, uh, you know, I was, I was just focusing on kind of staying in front of Ryan and like not having him catch, catch me and so I was I was just trying to keep that space if not gain from a little gain a little bit and then um and then after there's we we get off get from the halfway point we drop onto the river and then um it was like after I got off the river and back onto the swamps that that was when I started to like focus a little bit more on catching Brent and then definitely that last 10 miles was so you go through the culvert and that's nine miles out so I got a little bit after the culvert and then I started like, you know, suggesting to my dogs, okay, you're going to pick up pace a little bit. So then uh, once I got five miles out from the dog drop, that's when I really started encouraging them. And, uh, you know, we, we, when I originally started uh, encouraging them, there was, you know, we were just kind of going a little bit faster than the pace we'd been keeping. And then we started ramping it up. And then by the time we uh, got to the, to the, um, like five miles out, I, I thought I was going to catch Brent and then, uh, or I wasn't going to catch him because every corner, every hill, every swamp, I was like, where is he? And then, <laughs> and then in this video, that's the first time, uh, Brent, uh, saw me and I caught up to him and saw him. So it was, I saw his white anorak and I was like, Oh, there he is. Like finally. So, so but yeah, you can... I, I just real quickly to ask about this video. So, um, <laughs> about how uh, roughly about how far away from the finish line is this going on here uh like a mile 
a mile from the finish line. Oh my gosh. You So yeah. you still hadn't passed them a mile from the finish line? Yes. And so it was only a couple hundred feet from the, uh, from the no man's land. So yeah. So, uh, okay. Did you hear the Tell- audio on that though? If have you heard? I'm sure Emily's heard it. Brent's just like so watched it so many times. My mom has watched it so many times. Oh, trust me, it gives me a rush knew every it. time. That's so crazy. I had to pull it up. <laughs> but go ahead. What were you saying, Emily? Um, what was I saying? Um, but yeah, like I saw his white his white anorak, and that's you know I I was not expecting to catch him, and then oh the halfway point or the uh, no man's land. So I'm sure you guys have talked about it before, but no man's land is where, uh, the musher in front of you cannot, does not have to yield to the musher that's behind them. Um, so we were, I, I can't hear your audio. Um, uh, but we was, were, yeah. okay. Um, but we were a couple hundred feet from it and I had just caught him when just after, uh, we, we get out of the sight of the camera, I passed him but uh, he, I didn't even have to call trail. He, he just let me over. Like he saw, he saw that my team was that much faster than his. Um, so he just like, let me over. And that was something that was really nice of him. Like, yeah, he's, he's a really, really good sportsman. And so then uh, I passed him and uh, once, once I dropped down onto the lake um, and crossed the finish line, he was a minute behind me. So what was the time between passing him and between like coming out of the woods here on the Knick Lake right there. And that's that's Sean standing up. That one person yes. on the side. That's Sean. Hey, how's it going? <laughs> he's literally he's Number on one the fan. phone. He's literally <laughs> on the phone uh doing an Instagram live. And I'm like one of two oh. people vo- watching. Yeah, no one's watching right? it. And I, so I'm watching it on the tracker, as you know, Mm -hmm. like the tracker hasn't updated. So I'm like, yeah, you should be seeing Brent come around the corner and it was you. Right. And I swear if there was like a camera of me, I was just like, oh my gosh. (laughs) Yeah. We had to make one of those reaction like videos that that, that are on all the Instagram, but yeah, sorry, Emily. So yeah. How long, what between passing him and coming out onto this lake? And we're why for people listening, we've been watching vi- the videos mm-hmm. of Emily's finish and of uh, the last few miles of her race. And she's grinning from ear to ear. <laughs> uh, it was probably like half a mile or less. It wasn't it wasn't that far. Like you. So there's Malamute Run, which that was the uh, no man's land point. And so then after I went through Malamute and there was a couple other driveways and then you there's like this. I think it's probably a museum or something, but it's like this red building. And so you go around that corner and drop up down onto the lake and then you were there, Sean. So yeah, it was not that far. <laughs> that's, that's crazy. The, the 199 yeah. miles you were losing. <laughs> exactly. 199 yeah. And, yeah. and a half almost. Yeah. That's, that's, that's yeah. like, that's just I, so fun to see. But even in uh, your mind, yeah, from a you were perspective. like, you were still winning. Like, not before you pass Brent, but like you had to be like finishing second in the Knick 200 in oh, yeah. the first time that you're doing a 200 mile race, like you were already winning. And then that just having that happen to me is just like, oh my gosh. And like, kind of like a, like a photo finish, if you will, you know, like just, you know, a lot of times when Sean and I are talking about various races, it's like, you know, so-and-so wins by two hours. It's not really like, right. you know, it's not close there at the end, but uh, that's kind of what's made made 
like watching you exciting is that it's been close this last one too, you know? Oh yes. Yeah. No, I've, I've on record done quite a few close finishes. Um, in the first junior I did a rod that I won, uh, I won by six seconds. The, uh, Yukon quest. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And were you, were you like getting gained on or did you pass in the last second or. Well, so the first junior I did a rod that we did. Is that 22 or what is it? Yeah. 22. Mm -hmm. So that year we weren't running the original course. We were running on the the Denali highway. And so, yeah. And so it was a kind of like a sprint race format. So we, we went out the first day we did, it wasn't an original, like 75, it was like 64 miles. And so we went a little bit, yeah, we went, we went a little bit past Jesse Holmes's place and then turned around and then came back. And then we Mm. loaded up our dogs into the dog truck and then, um, stayed in a public school, which actually ironically was the first time I've ever been in a public school (laughs) because I'm homeschooled. So just leaving that in that, in that building, it was like, Oh, this is like kind of ironic. Um, (laughs) This is and what then, it's like. <laughs> yeah, this is what it looks like. This is what a school is like. And so then the the second day we got up at like five in the morning and um then went to the parking lot of the Denali Highway the second day and ran back out again and did that loop. But so it was like based off of time. And oh. like we were we were like in junior in in the actual junior I did rod, it's based off of like they'll, they'll do the math. And then like, I, I left the, the person behind me in junior, I did rod last year was like how many minutes? Like, I don't know, but we'll just say four minutes or whatever. And so then, and so then the person after that is seven minutes or 40 something minutes, whatever. But in that race, it was, we started in two minute intervals, just like you start in the beginning of a race. And so it was based off of time and I had no idea where it was. And really, I never know where I am in a race. Like I just, I just run my dogs. And so, um, like I didn't know that she was six seconds behind me. There was absolutely no way I could have been able to tell that. And so, uh, it wasn't until I crossed the finish line and then, um, Tori, Tori, or I think it was Morgan and then Tori and then Hannah. And so then they did the math and then Hannah was two or six seconds behind me. So yeah damn that's like that's gotta be you gotta be thinking like wow that was uh like that one stop i did for that dog booty you know or that one that's literally like you're like oh yeah you know frankie doesn't have any to put that booty back on his front right and you that's my dog if my dogs had pooped one more time (laughs) i would have lost or at least have tied and you have no idea like you just yeah that's that's crazy I screwed around a lot in that race. Like I did things that I didn't necessarily didn't need to do. And that's every, like every single race you make mistakes and I made, I've made mistakes in my winning races. And so, um, it's, it's really hard to learn once you've won, like to learn from those mistakes. Cause you're like riding on or riding yeah. on this high horse and you're like, Oh, you know, I did nothing wrong. But in reality for me, I'm still trying to learn my mistakes, even if I win. So, right. um, like, then the Yukon Quest 80, I finished like by only like a couple minutes uh, with Hannah Wapit once again. So me and Hannah yeah. are on a track record of finishing really close. Has she as gotten well you as... yet? Not yet. On any event? Oh, oh man. No. All right. How yeah, old no, is she? She's she's seventeen. So this is your last year running junior. Oh, I did Ryan. She all the all the so Morgan Martins who runs Ryan Reddington's team. Hannah Wapit, she runs her own. Um, all these kids that are aging out, they're gonna be gunning for it. So. 
by no means am I expecting to win the junior Iditarod because they all want it just as bad as I do. And uh, yeah, like, I don't know. It's exciting. It'll, it'll okay. Be, I, I'll be very, I'll be like props to them if one of them beats me because that'll be really, really cool. Um, but, and then Hannah Wapit uh, and I last year in the Willow Jr., uh, we finished like 20, 19 seconds apart from each other. So Gosh, yeah, we poor Hannah. Wow. <laughs> uh, but congrats to you but you know like you know we, we we just come from like you know a place of we've experienced such a so much sporting heartbreak that you know i can't help but help but sympathize with second yeah place. i know yeah you know, that that's, yeah, that's like, crazy my, our parents are definitely pulling their their hair out and biting their nails oh i bet you that they've they've aged uh double in double time you know in the in that in that one weekend of watching the yeah. Knick. right uh, I, yeah it was fun seeing your dad out there you know he could he, he was really uh uh well i don't know if it was you i think it was another musher came through and he's just like on he's just he's in race mode i'm sure he's in the room right now but he uh <laughs> he he was someone had their like leg stuck in between the brakes or whatever and it was like pretty oh. Like it was pretty chill. Like they they were calm about it. The musher, <laughs> you know, and it was probably going to be fine. But it's kind of hard because it's like a re- like probably the trickiest section of trail is getting through that Eagle Quest checkpoint. I mean, as far as just it being like like a triple S turn. I mean, it, it, you guys right. did it smoothly, so. but it could it could not be smooth. <laughs> yeah, well, your legs so stuck in the brake. But yeah, your dad was like came sprinting after to try and help yeah. out, and I was like, right. there's not a Golden Rake award, but he deserves it. <laughs> yeah no my yeah my parents my dad yeah he's they're definitely um very very big helps but so do going through eagle quest uh i've done tours and i carry like 500 pounds worth of weight or more when i'm doing those tours so like when i go through there now i'm like junior i did rod last year if you watch the videos uh the the uh the other race i'm gonna knock on wood because um going through junior I did around next year. I don't know what'll happen, but I was, I was nervous because last year, or I was watching the videos of last year in the, in the, um, Knick and like it, like people were crashing going around that first initial corner. I was like, Oh shoot. But, uh, yeah, I do tours. So like, I, I kind of know a little bit more how to maneuver sled and also have Dandler. So I, uh, I've had, I've um, trained out there on the the Eagle Quest area. I have had a devastating sled, uh, sled crash in that in that area. So, yeah, I was impressed because really everybody totally crushed the uh, the that section, which is is certainly as tricky. And it was always funny because like it's you don't have to stop there, and like I don't think everybody knew that. I don't know if you knew that the first time you I, went through. I did. Okay, yeah, it's like you know, I'm, you're not messing around. I'm trying to gun it for first place, but a lot of people didn't, and they're like, you know, do I need to stop? He's like, no, you don't need to stop. It's like, do you have a dog drop? No, I don't have a dog drop. Okay, all right, sounds good. And it's all happening in like four seconds, and they just keep zooming through. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. it's yeah, it's very funny. And I, I didn't. So in the Knick, you can take a 14 dog team. I only took 12, and then when I finished, I finished with 10 dogs. Um. 14 so like is, I, I didn't 14 is pretty scary it's like i do it you on know. the i do it on the denali highway when it's a sure. highway but i'm not necessarily willing to do that uh going through those areas like more closer to the finish line um 
like leaving the first day and leaving the second day when it's like two or three o'clock in the morning and having a 14 or however many, however big of a dog team like that. It was intense the first day with just 12 dogs. And, you know, right. I, I, I wanted to just, you know, be confident and, uh, you know, just in control, just take it, you know, have control. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, be able to stop so. the team, certainly. Yeah. So uh, yeah. the biggest theme I heard about the trail, like, firstly, that it was a really challenging trail, just being mm-hmm. soft and slow in spots. And that, you know, for people running their like first 200, uh, not, not unlike yourself, you know, that was like a pretty, like, not a layup of a race, certainly. And, uh, mm-hmm. and that, like, the 15 miles, closest to the check to the finish or the halfway point or the start or whatever you want to call it to connect Lake. Those yeah. 15 miles are like nice and hard and fast. They were. Mm-hmm. And then the rest to Eagle quest yeah. which I guess would be like 35 miles or whatever is, was a yeah. uh, pretty slow going. Right. What, what do you think? No, you're right on that. So like the, the first like 15 miles, yeah, there, it was, a pretty hard, nice, hard packed trail. But the, the thing is, um, that first 15 miles, no matter what you have those Hills and stuff. So you're, so you're going up those Hills and you're going around those corners and you're having to slow your dog team for those reasons, as well as what do they call it? Suicide Hill, or you're going up that really steep one. And so, um, like you're slow, you're slowed down regardless if it's a fast or a hard trail, uh, or a fast or a slow trail. But uh, that section was faster than once you got onto the swamps. It's they called it the connecting trail, and so there was um, uh, it was horrible. <laughs> yeah, I was I was grumbling under my breath like an old man, just like ah oh, this. <laughs> and so um, but there was like these these trenches, like not that wide, like maybe that wide, and they were like three three or four feet long. And so you're like one sled sled runner would like sink down into that, and so you like your body weight is completely off balance and you're having to ride your handlebar practically like this. Um, so there was those and you'd constantly just be dip, dipping into them. Um, and you, you don't, you don't like, have a tail dragger, right? No, I don't. Mm-mm. And you didn't, and, and how far back, do, like behind your feet, does your runners go? Maybe like two feet. So like, Less. there's not like space really for a tail dragger on that sled. Right. Or is it's there? a downhill, so no, no. Okay, okay, I, right. Yeah, there's no tail drag. So like yeah. when your when your sled sinks down, like the runner goes like below the snow. Yeah. And then your foot gets kind of like pushed Hot. off the runner. The, and then yeah. you don't have like, I mean, I don't know what's better, like as far as it's like you, your foot just slides right off. Now you're only on one foot and you gotta make I, that quick adjustment. Yeah. But yeah, then if you have the kinda, tail dragger, it gets sucked right. underneath that. You know, it's like yeah, yeah. No, there was. One. I, I don't know if my foot necessarily slid off the runner, but there was definitely times where it like threw me off balance, and like sometimes I'd be like on the phone or whatever with my dad, and then I'm like I'm I'm trying to like do this, and and then like on top of that, there was also like these these um they weren't tussocks, but they were like these these dips in the trail, and so um like those dips would get soft, moguls? and so you're just going through that, Mogul? and it was a pretty not moguls. No, not no, tussocks okay. or moguls. It was okay. just like dips in the trail. And so um, you had those dips and then sometimes there'd be the trenches in the dips. And mm. yeah, it got, it was, it wasn't easy because it was like a newly broken out trail. And I don't know if like the, um, the like 
tail drag or uh, drag mat that the person was using was like creating those. But yeah, that, that section was pretty tough. I mean, the river, like after you get through Deshka and stuff, the river was pretty smooth, but yeah, it, it was, it was when you're in those swamps, um, that it got really soft hmm. and it was also really warm. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was, it was warm at night, which was crazy. Cause it was like yeah, kind of yeah. like a nice temperature in the morning, Saturday. Right. And I'm thinking like, all right, mm-hmm. it's kind of warm in the afternoon, but like it should die. And it was like right. super warm at like midnight. I was like, whoa. Yeah. Yeah, I know. Crazy. It wasn't fun leaving. <laughs> I had, I, I had my, like my, my thin wool hat on. I had uh like, you know, all my uh, warm weather gear on, but yeah, I like towards the finish line when I was working towards catching Brent, I took off my hat. I took off my gloves, my neck warmer. I, I took off my, my jacket and wrapped it around my waist I, my, my pants, my snow pants, they unzip like down the legs. So I unzip those and yeah, I was, yeah, yeah it was, it right. was very hot for me as an interior girl. Like, yeah, the seeing your face and Brent's face and Ryan's <laughs> face and Travis's face and Amanda's right? face oh, yeah. were all by the way, having their own race yeah, and just as hard as those top, those top five, that was like crazy to see. And everybody looked like yeah at the end just like yeah running or something you know but right you guys are getting after yeah. it for miles right and yeah yeah that right. was that was fun to watch so i wanted to ask you about um like you this was your first race where you have 100 mile runs and so mm-hmm. what was that like on your end kind of you know, like, is this your first season where you've practiced longer runs or is that your first time actually doing those? I'm kind of curious about that. Great. I mean, for the G, yeah. So the junior I did around, it's 175 miles. Um, so I, I'm not necessarily a stranger to longer runs or 150 miles, sorry, but you do 75 mile runs. And so it's kind of close to like what the Kinnick is. And I also, so what kind of prepared me for the uh, Kinnick 200 was the Willow 150. And that race too, the first day the trail was really nice and hard packed. Like it had like this nice crust on it. And then the second day, obviously uh, it was like two or like one or two in the morning when we left and a couple miles out from the checkpoint, we had a snow machine pass us, and obviously nobody's gonna go joyriding at two or three in the morning. So it was a tra- it was a trail person, but they didn't have a, a a drag mat or anything on, like not a tire, nothing. So it was just his his track was like running up the trail. So from then on out, it was a really really slow trail. Like and you'd hit you'd hit spots where the trail like was still intact, and you'd be like, oh. Like you jump back up to like 11 miles an hour and you're like, no, because it was a slog. It was horrible. Um, And it was really, really warm in that race too. So like that, like doing such a hard race and um, like, I thought genuinely like by the end, like I was, I was like trying to keep my dog team together because like they were, they were definitely struggling a bit towards the end. And like, I had, I kept going up and like putting snow in their armpits and like, just trying to pep them up and like keep them happy. And so luckily we, we did finish. And my dad, my dad and I competed in that race. So like I was with him and he was like correcting me on some of the mistakes I made. And I wouldn't have been able to navigate that trail by myself. Like that, 
that trail, it's it's not necessarily made for junior mushers. So um, like it would have been pretty intimidating going out there all by myself. But so doing that with my dad and like learning that, that really prepared me for uh, like the Knick 200 because I knew what a tra- bad, really bad trail looked like. And I knew how tired a dog, ke- dog team can look. Um, so like, I was still grumbling under my breath in the Knick, but I'm like any, like almost all dog races, they're going to have sections of trail that aren't going to be great. And that's just ne- inevitable. And that's something you just kind of have to deal with. Um, it's not fun, but that's just dog racing. And I've kind of just like gotten used to like bad trail conditions ever since. Like I had one, one musher say like, Oh, like the trail has gotten soft on the Willow Junior 100. And I was like, Oh, it's not that bad. Like compared to the Willow 150, like it had snowed a little bit and stuff, but compared, compared to the Willow 150, everything I look back on is like Willow 150, not as bad. So, um, What, what year was that? Uh, that was last year. So 2023. Yeah. Yeah. And that kind of spills over to like, you know, what is it about y'all's? I mean, you guys got a family affair going on. You got saw your brother Mm -hmm. out there a couple weekends ago. Um, Of course, your dad and your mom's in the room, I guess, too. Yeah. So Mm -hmm. the, uh, you know, you guys have been training dogs, these, this group of dogs for, quite a few years and Mm -hmm. it seems like you've taken these like very nice nice incremental steps up in distance and competitiveness and uh I don't know I just kind of wonder like I think everybody's kind of like got still picking their jaw up off the ground over the connect (laughs) thing and and like you know it's just super impressive to be beating these what are considered to be the best sled dog teams on the planet for mid distance. And I I'm, I'm, I'm guessing the answer is just a little bit of everything of uh, you haven't gotten your experience. The dogs haven't gotten their like accumulative training and this year's conditioning. And, but like, what do you credit, you know, the, the dog being your dog team, be able to do this, run this speed for this distance, you know, and you did on your first try, but I mean, you've done a 150, you know, it's it's just like a nice small jump up. And so it doesn't seem like you're reaching, obviously you're not, you know, but what, why, why are you so good at this? (laughs) I can't explain that. I can't, I can't. Um, I mean, I can pick up some of, I can explain some of the different elements, but like, I'm, I'm a, once I get out there, like not on training runs or anything, like, I'm not a mess on training runs, but I'm like, I, I daydream like any other musher and just kind of like, you know, okay, like doing a training run, but like on a race, you can see in my, in my starting photo of the Kinect, like I just, for this one, I, I came into a different mode and I was like, okay, I'm competing against these set of people. And so like, I kind of like put on a completely different focus, but like you can see in the, in the starting photo, like this face that I put on and it, it looked kind of scary from <laughs> even when I was looking at it. Um, <laughs> but so like, it's about kind of my focus and, um, at, at the attitude with the dogs is very important. Like we, I constantly focus on just keeping the dog team happy and that sort of thing. And, uh, last year, uh, the, the last couple of years of training before this, um, our dogs would get in slumps 
like they they kind of hit these dips in their training where they kind of like any other athlete, any other athlete, you're going to kind of hit those slumps and kind of, you know, you kind of have to pick yourself self up from that. And um, like this year, we've we've focused on just keeping a happy attitude. And like uh, we haven't had very we we didn't have very good snow until up until like a month and a half ago. And so we were having to run back and forth or not even that long ago, like a month. We're having to run back and forth, back and forth on our eight mile stretch on our logging road. And mm-hmm. so it was like up to the gravel pit, end of the logging road, up to the gravel pit, end of the logging road, up to the gravel pit, end of the logging road home. Or, you know, it, we did different variations of that depending on uh, how far we wanted to go. But, you know, the last couple of years that had been really boring, boring for the dogs and the dogs would get very, very excited once we got into a new trail. But this year, it didn't really bother them. They didn't really care. Um, so that's definitely a big thing. And, um, it's the dogs themselves, you know, the breed, like the, the train, the breeding programs and that sort of thing. And, um, it takes a very special type of dog. And so like, we've got dogs from Pete Kaiser and Jesse Holmes and, um, Jeff King and those sorts of people. And so like that, that type of dog is pretty key. Um, it's also, I mean, I think luck a lot of luck, like, but it's also just quite a bit of hard work too. And just, you know, kind of grinding. Yeah. Yeah. I don't buy it one bit. (laughs) Yeah. You know, I, I, uh, I think that's exactly right. Grinding and the training and doing all the, I think that's the cool thing about mushing is like, you know, it's fun for me to show I show up at the race and everybody's got, you know, it's just exciting. And, Oh, we're here at this event and all our friends are here, but like, you know, what are you doing in October, November and December when it's quiet and dark and you don't real the only person getting you out of bed is you and uh yeah, go, go outside into the cold. Are your parents in that case or whoever yeah. your <laughs> system is? But yeah, that's yeah, that's the and just doing it consistently. Cause you could just take off like a day and it's right. like probably fine. Like yeah. you'd probably still win the race you know <laughs> if you take off a day yeah. and but then it's a slippery mm-hmm. slope you know right so yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. i'm sure you're not sure. taking off that day you know to right. sleep in and and watch netflix or whatever so i know. still do that everybody's all everybody's right, like cool. oh Good. oh like like you don't you're not on your phone like all the other teenagers i'm like do not be fooled like, <laughs> I still use my phone. i'm still i'm still hours on instagram and that sort of thing it's okay, just i also good. do dog right. motion. Okay. i also focus right. on that so all right, that's so that's funny. this is leading up to perfect. I had I have a question for you about this. Like, Sean made a post after you won. That's like, you know, I was playing Xbox when I was sixteen years old, right? And like, I'm thinking about <clears throat> our typical day. Sean and I growing up at age sixteen would have been, you know, if you're mm-hmm. in school, it would have been like wake up at seven, get ready for school, be at school for seven hours, come home you know, have a snack, have dinner, do homework, go to bed, rinse and repeat. Right. right? So I'm curious mm-hmm. what, you know, what, what does that look like for you? What's a typical day? Is there such yeah. thing as a typical day? I like, what is Homeschooling I'm, sounds sick. Yeah. I'm, I'm curious. <laughs> I want to hear about this. <laughs> oh, I need to get on a routine. That sounds really amazing. Actually. I need to do that. Um, but so like, it's a lot of dog focused things. And then, you know, I'll watch Gilmore girls shout out to anybody who watches hey, Gilmore girls. I've, I've watched <laughs> a couple seasons at least. I'm going to be honest. 
It's not a Thank tattoo. Thank you. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> yes. Um, and then I do, I'm, I'm trying to get back into school because we've had that racing rush and that sort of thing. Um, but yeah, like in the fall time, going and running dogs, what, however far you're going, like three miles, 10 miles, whatever, and then come back and do the scoop dogs and like, you know, hang out with the dogs and puppies and that sort of thing. I mean, my, my schedule definitely drastically changes and no day looks the same for me. Like there's always things that divert my attention and I focus on, but yeah, I mean, I also spend quite a bit of, quite a bit of time on my phone. So yeah. Are you better at driving a sled or driving a car? been able to drive a car a whole lot because we have the dog trailer on the truck so ah right um, that is a whole nother level Uh uh-huh i'm probably at the moment definitely better driving at a car but so i'll tell you something so my dandler um how much is dandler's the type of sled brandon yes i got it it. thank you sprint sled and by the way uh, we're gonna just want to comment while it's in my head did you did you hear that Brent used a Dandler for the copper? I did. I saw it. I saw him at the at the truck station at Hilltop, which is like out of, a little bit out of Fairbanks. And I saw him, and he was headed to the copper basin. And so we were talking or whatever. And he had his big his what he calls his boat now, which is like the sled that he's been using for years. And then we didn't see it, but he's like, "Yeah, I'm bringing the Dandler down." And so he he borrowed it from Dave Turner. But yeah, I heard that, and that then now he's he's buying dandlers and so. then he won the race by two minutes and i'm yeah. gonna be i mean i that look, had to be the you know that's sledge. the difference that's yes. that if he were it uses his boat that he's not <laughs> winning that race you know yeah yeah so. no exactly like the dandler makes a difference too um yeah but yeah they're very, they're very expensive so like mine was like five no three thousand dollars and so i paid half of my summer money my summer job money and then my dad paid the other half um i wanted to get a pink sled he wouldn't let me do that just so that he would never on, drive walter. it walter <laughs> 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 uh, we opted for black and um where was i going with that um yeah like it's oh you're it's saying just, maybe the price of the sled versus car. the price the of car, the car yes the car okay there we go um yep. so I'm I, I paid more from my Dandler sled than I am from the car that I'm buying from my grandma. Yeah. Nice. Uh-huh. Yeah. I, I yeah. think my first so, car was like pri- two grand, you know? So yeah, right. that's about right. Priorities. It's priorities. Hell yeah. That's right. You got your priorities straight. Yep. Yeah. But I've done, I've done some driving here and there, but not a whole lot. I need to because I want I want to have my freedom and I want to get out of the house. Otherwise, I'm just stuck here. So. No, I don't think your parents like you at the house. I bet <laughs> get more family time. Right? Yeah, I get enough of that. <laughs> so, are you going to be uh, trying to protest the I did rod to uh, maybe like let you in early by like you know be no. like, hey, this is my track record. No, right? No, no. No, I think it's completely. I think it's completely reasonable that it's 18 completely. Um, I I don't think they should be allowing anyone younger, but I do think that some of the Iditarod qualifiers um, should allow it with enough provability from the musher. They should be allowing them to run in the 300s because if you don't do your qualifiers until 
Um, well, if they don't allow some eight, if they don't allow some kids to run until 18 years old, then you won't be able to run the Iditarod at 18. Right. Unless, unless you're willing to run three qualifying races in one year, which is a lot. So, um, it was, it wouldn't, it would set you back until you're like 19 years old. So yeah. I think, I think, I think, I think the qualifying races should kind of, should try to try to change it. But I think, I think, I think the musher needs to prove themselves in some sort of capacity, like maybe run a couple one fifties or at least one 200 or something like that. But, you know, I think, I think kids should be able to get their qualifiers in. Yeah. The, uh, the, is the cut is the Cusco maybe the other race that could allow juniors in sometimes. Yes. And that one, they, unfortunately, they let, is a real logistical yeah. nightmare to get there, but. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so they let Pete Kaiser, like the kids that live around there, uh, they're not kids anymore, but uh, Pete Kaiser and Jessica Kleika, they were able to uh, get into the races when they were younger and run those. But you have to, you have to get an exemption for that. The Cusco, but, I mean, like that'd be not, you could totally do it, but man, that's like not, you know, it's not an easy 300. None of them are, but I mean, certainly no. like, you know, the Willow yeah. 300 would be like the natural next, you know, 300 step, I would think. But then the Willow just will still, right. it's still kind of, ends up being really hard too yeah so you know but uh yeah they all end up being hard yeah i think they do any way you put it and um yeah yeah that i i think that's they're gonna start writing the emily robinson rule it's probably what's gonna end up (laughs) we love a good alliteration that was what i was gonna say about brent getting the danlers is oh now i'm creating uh trends within the mushroom community oh i feel so special now (laughs) like (laughs) Yeah, well, you know, it's funny. Like, what was, uh, yeah, it's funny to see, like, everyone was fully aware that you were, like, a serious competition. It wasn't like you showed up and, like, no one knew that, like, they're like, who's this Emily girl? Like, everyone knew you had a badass dog team. And then, you know, (laughs) so they were all, like, you were on their radar and you still beat them. And and so it's like, mm-hmm. yeah, they're like, all right, so what is this? All right, what is this girl using here? All right, what do we got? Let's look at this. <laughs> like, let's start with the sled. All right, that's I mean, something I can't change. I can't get her dogs, so her sled. You <laughs> are, aren't right you undefeated? You've only won this. You haven't not came in first. Oh, no, 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 right? no. Uh-uh, uh-uh. Dave Turney, he beat me in the in the Alpine Creek excursion. So oh, okay, he broke okay. my He broke my record. Uh-huh. He set and he set a record in the in doing and it. And he did, yeah, yeah. That's the thing is, if last year I had set the record, he would have immediately beat it, beat it. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah, that was yep. David Turner got to to the lodge in under five hours. Mm-hmm. Yep, pretty crazy. Yeah, yeah. Another trend that I'm going to try to set, um, I'm trying to petition is everybody start eating baby food on the trail because that would look very interesting. Yeah. Wait, that's that's I, my I, thing. That's what? my thing. You you baby eat food. Ba- baby food on the trail? Baby food pouches. So baby like the food. tropical fruit ones or like the ones with like the berries. Like Brendan, those this is your level of expertise. Amazing. Why don't you just take over here? Because I'm I'm totally <laughs> lost. Yeah, I mean they're easy, uh, but I was like, so do you did you go that route because it's easy and like you don't have to like worry about it? Or were you like mm-hmm. uh nervous or was it like what's why why those? <laughs> 
Well, we've been experimenting for years uh, with different types of food. Uh, so like at one point I was using those like old people, like chocolate, uh, chocolate milk things with the protein and stuff. Those are disgusting. Oh, yeah, like by the way. Or old people, yeah, chocolate, yeah. protein. Drinks. <laughs> oh my God. I feel so old right now. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, so like I took that advice from Jody Bailey. And then uh what else? Um I I tried I, you know, I take Kit Kats cookies. Uh, I still Kit Kats, take those, huge fan. But... Just a frozen Kit Kat oh, yeah. just slaps, dude. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, oh, yeah. it doesn't have that much protein in it, but it's not about right. that. No, it's not. It's about So actually have have you heard that the wafer in the Kit Kat is actually ground up Kit Kat? Yes. What? Yeah, yes. I saw that online and I was like, what? <laughs> That's brilliant. Wait, so then, but eventually there's an original Kit Kat in there, right? If you do them, because like it's, the ground it's up like, Kit it's Kat. It's like the chicken and the egg. Like which one originates? Yeah. Like it's, well, it's, it's like, now there become has to like be that, a, an like, original what? Kit Kat, you know? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Wow. you're. I have a lot to <laughs> contemplate after this. <laughs> It's so funny hearing like, you know, you would think that maybe nutrition is like the the food selection of of mushers is is better. But like every mm-hmm. time we have this conversation, everyone's like it's never anything that's really good. I guess I guess I guess these baby food pack, packs or whatever are uh the closest thing to healthy, but <laughs> they're probably easy to like thaw out as yeah. a, a part of it, you know. You don't like like for example, I really yeah. want a Snickers bar out there, but they never it never goes well. They the caramel freezes yeah. up hard. Yeah. It takes like 30, 40 minutes to thaw right. out in my jacket. You yeah, know? Yeah, so the yeah. Kit Kat, you don't need to do that with the baby food probably thaws out pretty nicely. You know, there's other or things. Or you could just people, cut you could you could slice it open and just chew it like, you know, like a popsicle. Okay. Probably. I'm, I yeah. All right. Yeah, All right. Could. I mean, this is this is new. So, you know, I'm still experimenting with it, but I got it this from is... Joanna Jaghouse. So shout out to her. Nice. Um, but yeah, okay. like that's that's the new mushroom trend is baby food. And like it wasn't it wasn't necessarily nerves. I mean, there's that underlying like I wasn't very stressed going into this race like the first day by by the by the um, by night, the before the halfway point, I had like a little uh, mental breakdown sort of thing on the on the runners. But we got through that. Cause I was dehydrated. And so my parents were like, drink water. <laughs> like, what are you doing? And so, um, I got, I got through that and then I was fine the rest of the race. Um, but like, it was just something that was easy, um, like easy on your stomach and something that you could just yeah. quickly slurp up. And, um, yeah, it was, it was, it wasn't, it was kind of like that underlying nerves, like your body still like un- knows that this is like a stressful situation. But like in my head, I was like, just trying to stay out of that, like, and, you know, just focus on getting out on, out on the trail and that sort of thing. Um, so yeah, like baby food, I should get a Gerber baby food sponsorship is what P Kaiser said. So <laughs> hey, dream yeah. big. Exactly. Like exactly. Like mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And Brennan, people eat real food out there, though. You know, it's just like a 200 mile race. It's like, are you really going to cook up like a meal? You know, it's like probably not. You know? Oh, this this is going to sound a little graphic, but um, I my I had, <laughs> I had Thai food um, 
I had my parents bring me Thai food uh, and I ate it in the truck. And then, uh, you know, I ate it. It was a huge thing of Thai food, but I ate a little bit. And then I had this piece of chicken, like towards the, like when I was done, I just took a bite of chicken and that completely set it off, set me off. Like, I was just like, no, like my stomach was like, no. And so then like, I, I, I took some Peptos. I was like, no, I don't want to lose it. And then, and then <laughs> like five minutes later, I threw up all my, all my food. So then, oh, gosh. so then back, back to square one, back to baby food. Yeah. Well, that now, now it all makes sense. You know, you got it. Yeah. It's just mm-hmm. easy on the system, you know? Yeah. Sometimes yeah. you can't, you can't be introducing some, something too crazy, you know, maybe Thai food's not the play yeah. always, but. Brennan, you, yeah, and you I were hope, about to say something. Yeah, um, I, I, I'm gonna expose I'm gonna expose Nick Petit here, but um I heard that he only takes almond joys and cigarettes on the Iditarod. Oh, that's all dude, he that's, takes on his, his drop bags. That's, that's why that's he brutal. lives in this great country. You know, he just loves America <laughs> so much that he's like, you know, I'm gonna nicotine and almond joys. Let's go. <laughs> no, so my question it was just like I guess people you're coming strong on the scene. You've got these really good uh, victories that you've had. And, and, you know, you almost Dave Turner stole that one from you, I guess. Um, (laughs) So I feel like it's only natural for like people to assume that you're going to eventually do the, I did rod, you know, but like, you know, that's, that sounds like a completely different beast, you know, like it is. You know, so I guess I'm kind of just curious, like, just your thoughts about you and the Iditarod in itself in the big picture of regardless of your age and all of that. Yeah. Um, yeah, I've had a lot of people commenting, oh, she's going to be Figured. like the, the next Iditarod, like a future Iditarod champion or, oh, she's going to be the next Susan Butcher or whatever. And um like I don't know I hope I I hope to do it at least once like to say that I did it but I kind of after high school I kind of want to explore different things maybe do some traveling um I got twelve thousand dollars in scholarship money for winning the junior I did a rod so I'd go try to do something with that but if I if I come back after doing something like that and I decide truly that um I want to make a career out of this and this is like one of the things that I'm really good at and um then i'll focus on that and i'll rebuild it but like as of now i take like one race at a time and i'm i acknowledge the idea rod and i i i see that as something i'm i'm going to probably do but to do it competitively um i don't know yet so um i probably i might but I like right now everybody's like oh she could go probably they're probably thinking oh she could go win I did around with that team like people from like Kentucky and like you know Arizona yeah. and that sort of okay. thing like you know they don't really know what dog mush is mushing is but they're really really excited about it and they're like oh she could go win I did around with, with the like right now or whatever and I'm like no probably not like yeah. you know I'd, I'd, <laughs> I'd be able to finish the race but I don't know about I, I don't think winning that that probably wouldn't that definitely wouldn't happen yeah i mean I no mean, no rookie is gonna go and, and nowadays you know yeah rookie won that did ride in like the 70s but you know uh yeah going and being a rookie wasn't it john john baker john baker he won in no, 2011 with the speed record i believe yeah for the southern round oh, yeah, yeah. okay that's what i'm thinking yeah. steel trap oh man <laughs> uh, <laughs> jeez yeah um, 
<laughs> but uh yeah i was i was like thinking about that question and i was like you know yeah it's like you got to figure out how to get to a 300 you know that's like the next step is you right. get a 300 and you know um figure out yeah figure out a 300 you know and that'll be next winter yeah, i guess exactly. and maybe that's, there'll that's be, be you know a, a yeah. spring there's probably some there's like some spring events that pop up sometimes that you yeah. know people just kind of make a half-ass sled dog race event and mm-hmm. and then mm-hmm. it ends up being a qualifier who knows but yeah. um yeah that's 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 the future emily will figure it out right? yeah. yeah and like a 300 mile race is a completely different curveball and so i would want to tackle that first like i like a 200 like for me right now it was like completely fine like i'm i'm already like oh i don't know how these iditarod mushrooms do it like 200 man like that's a lot um so like yeah to do something like the iditarod right now uh yeah is a lot so i like like you guys were asking earlier like do you do you think you want to get in it early and no i wouldn't so yeah i um, i think that something that people that aren't from a lot or people that like that don't aren't in the alaska scene I think something that's super uh, important for someone like Emily who grew up here is you have to spend like a long amount of time, like at least a year away from Alaska, if not longer, just to appreciate it. Like, and I know you already appreciate it probably, but like, this is the reality you grew up in. Like, it's just right. like, oh yeah, look, there's like epic mountain ranges, whatever, you know. It's right. like, oh, oh yeah, there's there's an orca or orca yeah. that's that's jumping in the water. Oh, okay, like I see that. Oh, yeah, yeah I'll like wake up, parents... we'll run a dog team into the Alaskan right. wilderness, whatever. Yeah. You know? well, like, my parents are from Michigan, and so like seeing something like whales or orcas or whatever is like super novel for them. Still, like they 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 still have that like kind of like mindset, and I'm just like, yeah okay like it's here just another day just another like you know regular trip that we do like (laughs) and that goes for you know anyone growing up anywhere you know like Mm -hmm. me and brennan growing up in atlanta we probably you know i never went to do a lot of like the quintessential atlanta activities because right Mm -hmm. it's like whatever yeah i'm not a tourist i live here you know and uh so yeah that's that's something and and i'm betting i'm betting you're gonna leave and you have you have to do this trip of course but i'm sure you're gonna come back from a few trips and be like wow okay yeah it is pretty special up here and uh, so yeah that makes sense that that you know just if you were to go like straight into just full-time running the iditarod every year from 18 to 30 you're like yeah like okay like yeah you're you're missing Mm -hmm. you gotta miss it you gotta do some you gotta mix go make some early 20s mistakes you know go, exactly go to europe yeah. and, and <laughs> see what happens <laughs> right yeah that's that's the goal right there uh-huh. your parents are like do not listen to this man at all <laughs> <laughs> yeah. so, there, my dad's my dad's threatening me like oh you're gonna move out when you're 18 no he's not gonna do that now he's he's gonna become a big softy and he's gonna listen to this and be like yeah <laughs> kick me out now but <laughs> hey so real quickly i do kind of want to uh just like talk about your parents real quick obviously they're like the foundation of of the success that you're going through right now and you know i know you've been doing this for yes you know 
for a long, long time. You've got a decade under your belt of mushing and and more, and you're only 16. Um, so just like, I don't know, just do you have like a fun story from when you were young or just like, I don't know, I just kind of want to hear a little bit like less about, we've been focused a lot about on the race and stuff, but like just kind of talk right. about your parents, talk about your growing up and stuff. What what did that look like? <laughs> well, so my my dad, he moved up from Michigan when he was 18. And then uh uh in uh he worked with a professional Iditarod musher for a couple of years. And then in 2001, he ran the Iditarod. Um, so I've grown up with a kennel of about 20 dogs in my yard ever since, you know, I was born. Um, and yeah, like it, it's just been something that we've always done. My dad, he could have made a professional Iditarod career, but my parents focused on having a family and focusing on that first. So they kind of put dog mushing on the side burner. And so growing up, um, you know, I'd, I'd go out with my dad and at first he put me on a tag sled and I'd watch every single movement that he'd do. Like if he, if he had one hand on the handlebar and one resting down, I'd copy that exact movement. If, if he was on the drag mat a little bit, I'd copy that exact movement. Like I was, I was just like his, his shadow pretty much. And so, um, I crashed quite a few times. Uh, one story is that, um, I fell off my sled and, my dad didn't realize. And so I was just left there. And so I was only like five, six years old. And so I didn't know if he was coming back for me. I didn't know if he was like my little tiny human brain was like, he's going another hundred miles and just left me behind. And so my, my dad, he went up just a little, little ways and turned the team around. Like that was where he was going to go turn them around anyway, I think. And so then it felt like forever for me. Like it felt like an eternity. And so then he comes back and I was on the tag sled, but I didn't want to ride on my tag sled anymore. I wanted to like sit in the basket, like do nothing. Yeah. So I think I might've done that. Or maybe he made me ride on the tag sled again. I don't, I don't know. But yeah, I was, I was bawling my eyes out and like, ah! like, yeah, that was, that was a memorable moment. And then I'm actually half deaf. So I can't, um, I can hear out of my left ear, but I can't out of my right. And so um, my parents are always like, poor them. They, they, they're they like screaming across the dog yard when all the dogs are barking, Emily! And like, I can't hear them sometimes. Like genuinely, they're like, at first it like starts off like a normal tone. And then by the time I realize that they're talking, like trying to get my attention, they're yelling at me. And so then I'm like, I'm like, what did I do? Like, so, uh, but then my mom, she like got me a whistle and we dropped that pretty quickly because- uh, yeah, I just like I could have used hair. I could have gotten hearing aids, but I didn't. But anyway, um, so then like I, I did that for quite a few years. I graduated from like a four dog team to a six dog team. But like this is over quite a long time. Like some other kids, they they started pretty young. But one of my parents uh, teaching strategies or ways to get me into chores was to hold me back. And so when I was young and my mom would be feeding dogs, I'd be like, I want to feed dogs with you. And she wouldn't let me. And so one time I remember like just going in a snowbank and crying because she didn't let me feed dogs. And so uh, like there were times when I was grow like growing up, you know, I'd get upset about something. And we had this one dog called Winter. And I thought it was winter, but it's actually winter. I figured that out like just a year ago. 
but anyway, I'd go to her and like, if my, if my woes like, mom won't let me feed dogs, I'd go cry with her. And, uh, then, uh, they eventually, like when I was eight years old, they started letting me scoop dogs. And I was like, yes, I get to scoop dogs. And then pretty That's quickly hilarious. that died off. And now I'm like, oh, I have to go scoop dogs. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then right. with making dog pots and feeding dog pots, they didn't let, allow me to do that until I was like 13, 12, 13. And so the first couple of times I'd make a dog pot, I'd be like singing to the dogs. Oh, I'm going to make you such good food. Like, hey. And then now it's like, I have to go feed it. I have to go make a dog pot. I have to go feed it. Like, ugh. <laughs> so, um, yeah. And then another time, uh, another fun story of mine. And I, always tell this to my uncle but so one time I was on my tag sled with my dad and we went around this corner and um I I fell off the sled it was it's actually a pretty intense corner it was when I was younger now it's fairly easy but like I, we whipped around it and I fell off and so I didn't immediately get off on the side of the trail I I stayed like just sprawled in the middle of the trail and so then uh, my uncle Tony, my uncle Don, he came around the corner with his like 10 or 12 dog team. And so he, he ran me over with this team. And I just remember seeing like the neckline, the gang line and the necklines and the dogs just running over me. And then I, I claim that he he ran me over with a sled too. And so he he ran over my back and I had this bruise. And then my auntie got really mad at him for that. But he claim he claims that he tipped the sled up enough for me him not to hit me. But I claim the opposite. So, um, but yeah, that's another childhood story. Very very fun times. Um, also just like dramatic. your childhood, right, Brennan? <laughs> hey, just like I, ours. Just just how we grew up here in Atlanta, Georgia. Absolutely that's crazy. <laughs> well, nice. I just but yeah, I just like wanted... also. <clears throat> I just wanted to ask about your parents and I know that they're like, um, you know, kind of a driving force behind what you're doing. And so, mm-hmm. um, you know, now we have that on record. You can like play back all those nice things you said about them yeah. and you can be like, see, I love you guys. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, you I'm trying to set you up there. <laughs> right. Yeah. yeah. Um, what um, was the word you used? to describe a bucket of dog food you said a dog fought or pot or pot no not a bucket of dog food a dog pot um so it's like this big uh metal drum oh so it has a yeah yeah yeah, a dog pot uh we're not cooking dogs no 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 not not what i was implying dogs in the dog pot (laughs) dog pot okay so you got a vat of dog dog food essentially you know, uh, yes uh, yeah so you take, salmon you and take either salmon moose caribou mm-hmm. and then and then you and then you put five gallon buckets of water in there and then you cook it for like what an hour an hour and a half and then you feed it to the dogs um but it's a it's a very lengthy process we we have a gas or a propane like thing underneath pro- propane flame but some people they use wood and stuff to use their dog pots so yeah, we did yeah. something like that at Jeff's, but then yeah, I was like the first year or two we did that, and then we ended up just right. feeding them raw meat, and they loved that, mm-hmm. lapped that yeah, up too. We, yeah. 
yeah, we only we only do that in the fall, like in the winter time, unless unless we have puppies and we'll make a dog pot sometimes. But right now we're not even doing that for our puppies. It's just feeding, yeah, raw meat and stuff. So yeah, it's January. Yeah. Um yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. But yeah, like yeah. uh we used to be able to feed fish pots, but that doesn't happen anymore. I don't know. It's a love-hate story right there because it's nice to have like a more uh, less expensive way to feed your dogs. But then also with the dog with with fish dog pot is that you put it in a you put it in a freezer like that isn't being used, but you put the dog food in there to keep it warm for a couple of days or at least not freeze. And I'll tell you what, that dog food, it's bubbling by like the third day, just like, and then it really stinks. And yeah, uh, it's yeah, really fun. Yep, yep. Mm-hmm. I've definitely had yeah. some serious smells in the dog yard and it's not just the dog yeah. poop. It has to yeah. do with that meat and yeah. boy, oh boy, you right. forget that you put meat somewhere come May, you know, and you're like, fine, like a stash of what was frozen meat. And you right. know, it's happened once yeah. or twice and I, you know can't unsmell or unsee those moments but i'm sure you guys have it right. a little more organized than yeah. i did um <laughs> what was that? yeah uh, yeah but brennan um well i know that we're uh we've probably been going for about an hour and um we've been enjoying <laughs> chatting with you i i would just had one i don't know sean if you had anything else on I your had something you wanted... but it just completely is gone so why yeah, don't you go ahead? Typical yeah. steel trap. Underwood. Steel trap. Typical Underwood right here. <laughs> um, my question to you was, did you growing up, or I mean, I, like I say growing up, you're still growing up. Um, but is there like a musher that you, you know, you found yourself rooting for when you were, you're still a kid when you were like not in this phase of being a kid, but when you were, you know, in single digits, mm-hmm. we'll call it. Um, <laughs> or just like any, I don't know. Is there is there any anyone that kind of inspires you in, in the in the mushing world or anything like that? Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, there's I, I I admired like practically all the mushers when I was younger, but like Dallas CV, <laughs> he had his reality show at the time, and we'd watch that and make fun of not him necessarily, but the other, there was like the lower 48 team or whatever. And so we'd joke, we'd make fun at them and poke fun at what they do. Like the, the ridiculous things they do where it's like a regular Alaskan would make that like so much easier or at least use duct tape. Um, <laughs> but uh, like Dallas CB one time, another childhood story right here. Uh, one time uh, I was staying at a, we were, visiting with a friend's house and this was the start of like the Iditarod when it was in Fairbanks and it was like 30 below or something and um I I brought like we were staying at like our our friend's house hanging out and she had like a tin of cookies and so I took that tin of cookies and put and put cookie or cookies in a ziplock ziplock bag and then I gave a one of those to Dallas CV and so I kind of I kind of like looked up to him when I was younger and then, um, like there's countless others, like that I, I grew up, um, around these dog mushers and that sort of thing. Um, probably Lance Mackey, um, like Allie Zirkle, like we would do this like little, uh, racing track thing and I'd see her there and, you know, Allie was pretty cool. And, uh, yeah, no, like you, I could 
basically name off everybody, but those are just a few. Mary Mary Shields. Um, I, I've gone to her house a couple times and visited with her. She's, let me just say, a badass lady. Like, she is really, really cool. And I, I did an interview with her once where I was asking her questions. Unfortunately, it, it deleted itself. But, um, yeah. What's no, Mary really Shields? Cool. Brennan might not know who that is, and I vaguely do. What's her claim to fame? So she's the first uh, woman to cross the Adirondack finish line. Libby Libby Riddles was the first to win it, but Mary was the first to like run the Adirondack and finish it. There was another woman running it, but she, Mary passed her. So, um, yeah. But she's she's really really cool. She's just this really sweet lady that just has all of these cool wood stories and that sort of thing. And so transitioning into woods, um, I did grow up trapping and stuff too. So like trapping on dog team, trapping on a snow machine, that sort of thing. Um, I also grew up doing that. And so like, yeah. Yeah, that's definitely gonna, yeah. You, you just have, like, you're, you're gonna, you're just gonna have the ability to handle ad adversity a little bit better growing up in the interior doing dog runs and trapping <laughs> and, and uh you know people yeah. are going to be moaning and complaining about this and that and you're like you got to make a try making a pot a dog pot good luck with that dog pot <laughs> below you know so or 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 being or being yelled at by your dad because you didn't booty all the dogs correctly so then the booties go flying off like within the first three miles of the run and then he says i'm so mad at you right now and his <laughs> eyes are all red yeah no that's that's an experience right there that's that's the way i learned how to booty dogs correctly nice that's proper father like, right I, there i had I, I I had Nick Petit come up to me and he's like, oh, I see your booties are always on when you cross the finish line. And I'm like, uh, yeah, because that's because I have a story that goes along with that. Mm -hmm. Pairs very well. <laughs> have the uh, booty, the booty way put on booties is like a, another, you know, there's so many right ways to do all the mushing things. And some mm -hmm. people have some people just put them on and just want them to stay on. And that's good enough. And some people, you know have want to have the velcro facing back because the velcro won't like uh have as much pressure the velcro side won't have as much pressure on like the tendons so they'll have more flexibility with especially in their front feet you know uh some people don't want to use elastic velcro or elastic at all because it's right. you know stretches too tight um but then the mm -hmm. other ones that aren't elastic don't stay on yeah, right. So it's like, what is your, what's your, what's your, what's uh, your masterclass on bootying? <laughs> I've never heard whatever. the, right. I've never heard the tendon, uh, theory. That was a Nick Petit special, actually. Yeah. That, oh, okay. Like, yeah, facing backwards. That was like Copper Basin five years ago. I remember him saying that, and I was like, that does make sense. Like, if you squeeze a right. dog's like wrist, and then their right. like paw kind of goes like that, and you're like, well, yeah. I mean, that does yeah. probably limit motion so so put it towards pressure. the front the front or the back the velcro the back. Okay. that is like the colored part of the yeah. of the booty or whatever would be on the oh. back in theory you know and it's probably oh. like makes a one percent right. difference but it's so much yeah. harder to booty that way like right. like i'm so oh, much slower yeah, yeah. doing it that way that. you know um i did the opposite of nick i usually put the velcro towards the front um but I mean, That's, I just put I'm my not, thumb. I just that. put my thumb. I just put my thumb in there just a little tiny bit, and then I wrap yep. it around. Yeah. No, I mean, like I don't. Punch it's not, up, you know. I don't. I don't have anything special. Like, yeah. I just. 
Beauty of the dogs. <laughs> yeah, I feel you on that. It's especially yeah. when you get into day two of Knick and you're feeling right. a little loopy and you don't want to be yeah. thinking about what right. if it's to the right to the millimeter exactly yeah. like you want to booty it. Right. Yeah. I, I actually wasn't too loopy starting the second day of the connect. Like I, I was pretty awake and I, I brought five hour energies with me and I never had to take them. Like, like one time on the, one time on the river on the second day, I did get a little loopy. Like I was like cold. And then like I, my, my head was just kind of getting like fuzzy or whatever. And I was just like, not feeling good. Like my stomach was upset, even though I was eating the baby food. Um, but yeah, like, I mean, you, you hit those like slumps those those yeah moments. The highs and, and lows then, and of then, mushing oh yeah it, yeah yeah and then and then you got out of it and then i got out of it but yeah like yeah there's so many different aspects so yeah well cool well we uh we've done our hour you know brennan is 10 p.m and 10 10 06 in atlanta and uh it's all good it is all good but yeah is there anything you wanted to add emily brennan I think. Oh, well, I mean, we always fun conversation. Yeah, it's been super fun. And uh, we always give we always at least try to remember to give our guests a chance just to, uh, you know, if you want to promote yourself. I know you have your um, Robinson Racing Kennel uh, page, um, but if there's just anything else that you want to share with listeners, I know you have the. What is it? You're doing the quest, the willow, and the Iditarod coming up to end the season. Junior Iditarod. Mm-hmm. Yep, yep, yeah. That's yeah, what big, I. That's what I. That's what I meant. I meant that. <laughs> um, <laughs> and uh, yeah, so just anything else that you want to mention besides that? Um. Well, thank you to my family, um, friends, and followers. Thank you guys so much for supporting me. And yeah, you can follow me on Robinson Racing Kennel, um, on Facebook, and um, wouldn't recommend recommend Instagram, but that we also have that. I do not post on it very regularly. Um. So then, also thank you to Manmat. Um. I just received their box that um, uh, they sent a bunch of dog gear to us and stuff. So, um, thank you guys so much. The gear is beautiful. Um. Yeah, no. Thank you to all my sponsors. Um, I really appreciate you guys, but especially to man that. I'm very excited for the new shiny collars and harnesses. Um, but yeah, so that's pretty much it. And thank you for following my adventures. And thank you, Brendan and Sean. Yeah, thank you, Emily. That was like that was. I had a blast talking to you. I, I, we haven't really yeah. had too many opportunities to to talk. So that this is. I mean, who? I mean, how often do you even really talk to another human being? uninterrupted <laughs> for one hour like it doesn't happen except for on this so it's kind of cool it to doesn't do doesn't happen often yeah i mean i have my family and stuff i mean i talk to my friends and friends every once in a while um but today i just had a radio interview too so you could call me busy but really i'm not it's more <laughs> of the the it's more of the junior mushers down in in the in uh, the lower 48 they get way more coverage than i do like people in north dakota and maine and stuff they're constantly getting interviews and you know on the tv and that sort of thing me i i get my interview one here and there but not that often like right right after the connect like i've definitely gotten more coverage but it's it's not that often that i get interviewed so yeah it's really fun well this this will probably go completely and totally viral with hundreds of millions of views is what i'm thinking absolutely yeah (laughs) 